And then as we move into the new covenant, we realize that even what God had said in terms of what is right and what is wrong takes on a new dynamic that we, we didn't see before. Because in the old one, you could get away with a lot of things. Uh, there were loopholes in which you could do things. And we think about the loopholes. And But in the new covenant, Jesus, on his, in his Sermon on the Mount, mentioned such things. Well, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Uh, if you look after a woman to commit adultery, again, with that, in, that intentionality, uh, that you, you're guilty of that. And so it takes on this whole new dynamic. But the whole purpose of repentance is to bring us into a relationship with God. But what kind of relationship? It is to bring us into a loving relationship with God. To know Him as Father, Son, and Spirit. It is to know Jesus. And so when, so let's give us kind of a, an updated at the, after uh, early on in the New uh, Testament church, an appreciation of how repentance was seen. And that would be from the book of Hebrews, where in Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews says, For us, that we have a high priest who was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, and that we should come boldly before his throne of grace in our time of need. That's a, that's a modern way of putting, or a new covenant way of putting, repentance. That is, God knows who we are, and he tells us to come boldly before his throne of grace in our time of need. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, mentions to us, and he mentions, he writes to the church at Rome in, in chapter 8, and he says here, these are very encouraging words for all of us. This is a conclusion, conclusion kind of statement. He says, therefore, begins with therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit and of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in, in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So there is this conclusion by the Apostle Paul in terms that we live in Christ Jesus without condemnation. Now, when we look at this, it is difficult for us to believe this. But this is because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. It's the gospel message of Jesus. And it changes. So you think, oh, well, he's taking care of everything. We have nothing to do. Well, brethren, there's a response to that. There's a, an incredible response, and it is difficult for us to understand it. So when we think about there is no condemnation, it brings us into the gospel relationship with Jesus. And this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 when he began his ministry. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Now I'm going to suggest to us, and I mentioned this nearly three years ago in the sermon that I gave on Mark 1 and, and verse 15, this. Part of our repentance is to believe exactly about the grace of God and what he has done and is doing for us. To understand who we serve, that we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We serve a God who sent his only begotten Son, which we read from Romans chapter 1. He sent his only Son to, to be a propitiation for us, to have an understanding and appreciation for that. But I think what happens to most of us when we do something sinful, and we, we've got to use the word sin. I mean, we can, we can skirt around all of that, and we like to, to do that, and it's especially true in our world. We do something that doesn't measure up to what Jesus would like us to do. Because why would Jesus like us to do something? Well, he likes us to do certain things in a certain way because it brings us into a loving relationship with him. As Jeanette was talking about and mentioning here about the sacrifice of Christ, all that he has done for us, but all that he did for us is out of love. It is not to shame us, to, to have us live in guilt for all of our life, but it's rather to free us from all of those things. And it is in this that we find this incredible relationship that we can have with him. But here's a difficulty. We see ourselves, and we want to try to make up for it. How many of us have tried to make up for the faults? Oh, by the way, how many of us has also demanded others make up for the things that they have done against us? It's called, you know, vengeance, one. It's also called penance, where you got to make up for things. And it's one of those protracted forgiveness things. I'll forgive you if you do such, such, and such. You know, I'll feel more like forgiving you if you buy me a diamond ring. I'll feel more like forgiving you if I get to go on vacation. I'll feel more like forgiving you if you do this. Uh, I'll feel more like forgiving you if you just kind of do everything I want you to do. And in the meantime, I'll kind of pout and the like and require this of you and, and make life miserable for you. Not that any of us have ever made life miserable for people for an extended period of time so that we can get our way. But that tends to happen. So when we think about repentance, we often try to, to make up for. And so how much making up do you have to make up to get right? Well, it gets interesting. So, But let's first of all take a look at the feelings that the Apostle Paul and his perception, his understanding that brought him to this conclusion that there is no condemnation in Christ. And we've got to back up to Romans chapter 7 and we'll begin in verse uh, in Romans chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 7 here. Actually, we can begin in verse 13, rather for sake of time. So Paul is struggling with his problem with sin. Now, you have to recognize a couple of things about Paul. Until Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul did not have a problem with sin. Why did he not have a problem with sin? He had never done anything wrong. He kept the law. I mean, he tells us, I've done everything. I've never broken the Sabbath. I've always tithed. I've always give, 
given all of these things. I've not done this. I've not done that. Paul said that as far as the law was concerned, he was perfect. So he had no struggle with sin. But after he met Jesus, he had a struggle with sin. Paul didn't have a struggle with his personality, you know, who he was. After he met Jesus, he did. So beginning here, verse 13, where Paul is, is he's, he's talking about how sin has seized him, he, how he, he did not know covetousness until it, until it was defined by the legal term of the law, the commandment. And then when Jesus begins to explain things to him, he sees it differently. So beginning here in verse 13, Paul says, talking about doing that which he had done before, he says, did that which was good then, became, it became death to me. By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, he says, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So, we don't see in our world today sin being utterly sinful because we have uh, redefined redefined sin and basically what we've done is we, we argue with God we say God you don't know what you're talking about but I suggest that God does know what he's talking about and he really knows what he's talking about and it isn't about the, the no's, but the yes. Here's what God is talking about. For example, when it comes to marriage, what does God want in marriage? He wants a loving, intimate relationship. People who partner together, people who work together, people who are, are there for each other, people who share, people who care. That's what He wants. He wants a, a oneness, not a two-ness. And this is the argument that I hear people oftentimes present when they think about marriage. And you ask, well, what kind of partnership is marriage? It's a 50-50 relationship. Well, if you want to live a marriage filled with hell, have a 50-50 relationship. Why is that? You do your 50%. You do your half. I do my half. It doesn't work that way. We sang the song, You Are My All in All. You do 100% all the time. Because if both of you happen to do 50% on a good day, you might get 100%. But generally every day is not a good day. However, if both of you are doing all that you possibly living and because you love that person... You, and you're there for them in what is needed in the moment, then life changes. So you're tired, they're tired. I've explained this before. Well, I'm tired and I'm the man of the house. So I'll sit down, have a beer, prop up my feet and all of that. You do the dishes and all of those things because a woman's work is never done and all that. Well, we're just kind of following through on that. No, it becomes, it, it isn't a partnership. It's you work together and so that you, so for what reason? Why do you work together? So that you can have time to spend together. You enjoy each other's company. Why? Because you're very easy to get along with. How difficult is it to get along with Jesus? How difficult is it? 
it isn't difficult at all because he is so gracious. He is so loving. He is so merciful. He is so kind. And he models life for us. And when he models life for us, which he has done, what, ha- what happens in our life? We change. What's another word for change? We repent. We say, that's the way to live. That's the way to be. We want to be like Christ, which the Apostle Paul, in another instance, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 5, says, you know, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. We think that way. We allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life to guide and direct us. But Paul, all of a sudden, he found himself in a situation in, like, oh my, I am I'm now suffering under sin. I've got some problems. So he says... Well, we know the law is spiritual, but he says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Have you ever gotten to the point in life when you do something, you say, I don't understand. Why do I get so mad? I don't understand why I do that. You know, somebody pulls out in front of me and then I lose my cool and temper. I say this. I'm negative about that. I'm critical. Why do I do, why do I have to say that about an individual? Why can't I, when I can, I be like Jesus? And, and, and the way in which I treat everyone. He says, you know, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And maybe I've been there Things that you want to do, and you do not do them. Well, I'd like to say something nice, but I can't bring myself to say something nice. I'd like to forgive this person, but I can't bring myself. And the other thing about repentance that is difficult about that is that when we try to change, you know what people do to us? Unlike Jesus, people make fun of you. And they say, I've told you so. That is not the way that Jesus handles repentance. That is not the way he handles a changed heart and mind. Our Lord is incredibly gracious and loving. And it's like, well, Lord, I want to tell you about all all my problems. And it's like, well, I've known that. I've been telling you that for years and years. You wouldn't listen, you jerk, and all that. No, it is, I I have so been waiting. I have so been waiting. I have loved you through all of this. It's like, oh my, you're making you're making my changing even worse. Actually, you're not making it worse. What it, did, it is doing, it is so empowering you. Because I'm going to suggest to us that the grace of God so empowers us to change. To make that change that is so difficult. And that's what Paul was struggling with. See, Paul at one time was number one top dog thought he had everything right and all of that. Then he met Jesus, and he never met anybody like him. And Jesus Jesus didn't say, look who I am. He saw who Jesus was, and he and Jesus were not the same. But Jesus treated him with the kindness and the care that changed his heart and mind and melts our hearts. So he says, what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate... I do. Anybody ever done anything that they hate to do and you do it? We have all been there. If you have not been there, you will be there. And if you never get there, 
then yeah, your life. Well, First John puts it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and we make God a liar, and God is not a liar. We we have been there. It says the things I don't want to do, those are the things I hate. Doesn't do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, let's, I've used this in terms of people who are depressed. They, they might have a desire to do something, but they don't have enough energy to get up and do it. Well, same thing, in, we desire to do it, but we just don't have the energy to carry it out. But again, when we look at the love and the grace of God, it energizes us. It says, For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. To do this, I keep on doing. Now, this brings up a point in terms of repentance. How many of us have repented on the same thing over and over and over again? So now we have to ask ourselves the question, does, does Jesus know our weaknesses? We're going we're to, at this moment, call it weaknesses, but does he know who we are? And how long has he known who we are? And what is he doing? So do you throw your kids out because they keep messing their pants? Do you, you know, he's, or you say, well, I, I, I no longer love you. You know, when you do that, my love stops for you. No, that isn't the way we do it. We continue to love them. God continues to love us. He, he is working and he, in our life, and he's working very graciously. So he says, I keep on doing it. For if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does. Now, we're built as human beings, and we have, as, as human beings, foibles, weaknesses, feelings that aren't always controlled or controllable. And, and the like, and we have to do some things about it. We, we can get irrational, all kinds of things. So he says, so I find a law at work that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Now, this is, this is a thing about repentance. We have to have, you know, do we delight in God's law? Even though we, we don't always live up to it, do we delight in God's law? Paul says, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that is work within my members. Now, so I'm going to not pick on anybody who or anyone who may have a particular sin. I'll use a, an abstract. <laughs> Potato chips. Potato chips in my life are like sin. I can't eat just one. I would like to be able to eat just one and walk away from it. Now, I have to have a strategy for this. It is easier for me to have somebody else buy the potato chips and take them away. Or to buy a very small bag of potato chips. Or, if 
you're really devious, get the church to buy potato chips and provide them on the weekend so that they will help you eat them and you cannot eat them all. And you can delight in that. You see, because we also like to involve other people in our stuff. Now, I'm using that facetiously, but, you know, there are desires in our hearts and minds and things, and we, we do that. And if we can get other people involved in it, it makes us feel better about it. And so I'm just saying it, it's one of those things in our natural desire. It, now, it could be chocolate. I'm just using physical examples that people, you know, want. It could be sugars, whatever it might be, sweets, things that, that you just say, why is it that I, I, I can't get past the donut shop and the like? So Paul then concludes, what a wretched man I am. Who shall rescue me from this body of death? So Paul's feeling about himself that he is a wretched man rotten, stinking, no, what was that movie, Rotten Scoundrels or something? Anyway, just bad guys and the like. He's feeling very wretched. But notice his conclusion, and this is important, but he says here, but thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, now, is the answer here for Paul to go back to the law? And say, let me keep the law. I felt good in the law. No, it was about turning to Christ. So that I, myself, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And then he concludes, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the difference. Now, the problem, on, our, on the other hand, in terms of legalism, is this is that we want to become worthy of the grace of God. We want to show God that we can do this and who we are. Now, how much showing do you have to do? So let's think about this for a moment. In our government today, our lawmakers, what are they doing every year? Making new laws. Can they make enough laws? No. What do they have to make laws for? Everything. And certain laws that they enact on the one hand impinge upon the freedoms of other people on the other hand, and it's just one law. And then everybody in that law, everybody is now, quote, right. Because the law makes right. Because they've written it, and they assume this is, good, this is going to be good for everybody. I remember back in the 70s when the law became 55 miles an hour on the highway. You think, whoa, we're, we're saving gas, we're doing all of those things. A lot of time, a lot of productivity, you know. It, and it's, it's kind of like in NASCAR races. They had more accidents in NASCAR races when they put the restricted plates on it because everybody bunched up. And then in, in that bunch up, instead of being able to get out of there and, and all that, they have, they have crashes and the like because everybody's right on each other's bumper. When we think about the law that God, or the will of God, our life is different. And it, God allows us to walk in his, in his will. But we think about in terms of repentance. Okay, so what are you going to do to repent? 
well, I need to stop doing this. And I've given this example before, and it is not a crazy example because it actually happened. And it was in terms of the Day of Atonement, in terms of fasting. And Jeanette's shaking her head and, and the like. But it was determined by some, a legalist, that obviously it says in the Bible that you must fast from sundown to sundown on the Day of Atonement. So then it was determined, well, fast. The sun goes down, let's say, day of atonement. It goes down at 6 o'clock. What is a fast? Well, a fast is when you don't eat or drink. But what about those people that at sun goes down at 6, and at a quarter to 6, they're eating a nice big full meal and filling up their belly and storing that for the next day so they can get through the whole day. Fast means that your stomach must be empty. So in order to really have a, a real fast, you need to start fasting at least by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, you know, but if you fast at 3, you might ought to really fast. You know, starting lunch should be your last meal, and you should not have anything else. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. What did, you know, in the terms of atonement, what we were talking about, living in a relationship where there is, we know there is no, nothing between us and God. He has made, he has made us at one. So when we think about repentance, is it because of what we have done? No. It is what Jesus has done. He's the only one who can remove sin. I cannot remove sin from my life. He removes sin from my life. It is what he has done. Done What he has done, for what reason? So that we might live in a loving relationship with him. When you see what a loving relationship is, it just makes you want to enjoy it. So I, I think about... Okay, having a loving relationship with my Lord, my Savior, and, and saying, Lord, I want to be like you. And, and, and Jesus saying, Do you, have, you have no idea how much I want you to enjoy the relationship that I have with the Father. Because I want to share that relationship with you. And I want you to be close to Him. I want you to love Him. I want you to understand that living in His will is life. And it's life abundant. It's, it's intimate. You know, you can be vulnerable to God. And I tell you, one of the most wonderful things in humanity is the ability to be vulnerable. You don't have to make pretenses. I can do this. You know, on your guard, you got all this. It's like, hey, this is who I am. And imagine that. <laughs> imagine, this is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I enjoy. And Jesus is saying, you know, I've known that all along. And this is where you really are going to find life. Because as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to guide and direct you, because you see what what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in our life is guiding and directing us into all truth, which is a process. We, have, we haven't got there yet, that we've got all truth, that we understand. No. And, and the Holy Spirit is a comforter to help us. So it's like 
Repentance is not a bad word. It's a wonderful thing. It is what Jesus is saying in another way is, I want you to come to love God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and being. And, and brethren, in, in our youth, for those that are older, for those that are still young, in our youth there is an incredible passion about love. In our old age, there's also an incredible passion about loving and, and being bonded and together and all of that. It looks a little different, feels a little different, but what Jesus wants us to have is a passionate love for the Father, to be fully bonded and connected through, with the Holy Spirit in, in and guiding and directing us to have the oneness that he talked about in his prayer because that's what his prayer was all about that they may be one as we are one maybe in a loving relationship and he is so gracious but that involves change in our life we can call it repentance so Paul is saying look here's how repentance comes about and he was using this in terms of judgment. In Romans chapter 2, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Wow. That is what the grace of God. And by the way, grace of God is a gift. It isn't something we earn. His calling is by His grace. And by the way, as he told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient. These are the things that we learn about this. And so, as we understand it, as we're introduced to this individual, as we're introduced to Jesus, as we get to know him, we understand how gracious he is, how forgiving, how merciful, and how compassionate. We are empowered to say, I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. I want to love like he loves. I want to forgive like he forgives. I want to think like he thinks. I want to be like he is. And we're changed. You see, God gives us, God gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and a change. Repentance isn't about finding the rule and keeping the rule perfectly. It is about finding Jesus and believing that he is changing us and will change us. And as I've mentioned so often, and I remind myself at the end of our days, if we walk in his will and we go where he leads us, we'll be exactly where he wants us to be. In his loving arms, in his embrace, in his kingdom, to his glory, to his praise and honor. That's what we'll be. So repentance is all about the grace of God. And wow, was it so powerfully displayed in these two things. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And I'll add to this, you are my friends. And he loves us as the Father has loved him. That changes everything and should change each and every one of us. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we thank you very much for your blessings. We thank you for everyone here. Thank you for changing us. And, you know, we sing that song, Change My Heart, O oh God. It is about you changing us to your glory, to your praise. 
so that we can live in a relationship that you intended for us for all eternity. We give you thanks, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling the blues today, or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life, or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.